tonight, Genesis 23. Genesis 23. I uh, struggled with this message tonight, not because it wasn't good, it was obviously very good, but as I read through it, it was kind of like, Lord, what are you... What are you trying to say with this? You know, we had this theme going here of Abraham and Isaac and really trying to stop and see the Lord's plan and purpose. This chapter is just kind of thrown in there. And part of me wants to get to Genesis 24 so bad because it's such a great chapter. I kind of was skipping through uh, Genesis 23. Read through it the first time. Didn't really see what the Lord wanted to say. Read through it again. Thought, okay, we're getting a picture here. About the third time, I, I finally got, I think, the picture of what the Lord wanted us to talk about tonight. So here's the key point. For tonight, here's the key point of tonight's lesson, and the key point is very, very simple: is that you're going to die. So that's so let's 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 pray and go home. Um, you gave up your Wednesday evening just to come and hear that because the whole purpose of tonight's message is it's Sarah's death, and it's like okay, we get that, and basically Abraham goes out and buys a tomb for her, and there's more to it, obviously, but that's the first point. There is this idea of death. Is going to happen. And for some reason as believers, we more than anybody know eternity and heaven and hell. But yet for some reason we live like we're never going to die. As believers, we know death is coming. I mean, we know that. But yet we still sometimes as Christians lose this perspective on eternity and start thinking that we're going to live forever. When the Bible from the beginning, from Genesis to Revelation, is trying to drive this point home to you, that you're going to die on this earth. Just, just some real quick verses that popped up with this. There was, there was too many to turn to, so I put them all together here. Dustin, can you throw up that first thing there? Just a couple verses here. Look at this. These are just straightforward. You know these. Hebrews 9.27. It's appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. It, it's going to happen. Ecclesiastes 3.2. There's a time to be born, a time to die. Psalm 90, verse 10. Seventy years are given to us. Some even live to 80. But even the best years are filled with pain and trouble. Soon they disappear and we will fly away. I had somebody tell me one time that they were in pretty good health up until about 70. And it seemed like from about 70 on, things just started falling apart. God kind of knew what he was talking about. That verse was written about three, 4,000 years ago. We're, we're going to die. And I know that we're making a light of that. But that is the truth. And we have to remember that in the back of our minds that death is coming. So obviously the first point is that we spiritually prepared for where we're going to be for all of eternity. Now I'm assuming, and I use that word a lot, you're here tonight. I assume most of you have a personal relationship with Christ. I trust you do. So maybe that point doesn't drive too home for you. But you know, here's the thing. You're going to go to work tonight, tomorrow, and you're going to run into all these people. that They're going to die. And as they die, there's an eternity waiting for them. Wasn't that long ago? I was in a local area here and saw a car accident happen. Literally saw it happen, and I then saw the people run. The, the driver was struck and was stuck in there, and they were running. They were pounding on the window, and they were trying to get the driver out. They were trying to get out, and the emergency vehicle showed up. And you have that brief moment of, okay, what should you do? And I thought, okay, do I run and try to do something? Do I not? You know, I'm not trained in any of this. And is, am I going to be more of a hassle being in the way? So I thought, okay, but I'm just going to kind of pray. You know, just pray that everything works out and do the best I can as they're trying to work. So I go home, get on the next day, and I just kind of wonder what happened. And I found out the driver died. Couldn't get him out of the vehicle. And I'm not trying to sound crass when I say this. It died. The vehicle burned up. 
We were coming home. Just uh, We went to Splash Universe in February. Splash Universe. And as we're coming home from Splash Universe, we're on uh, 23, heading into Toledo. And right in front of us, we see this whole flurry of activity. Whole flurry of activity. And like, what is going on? Vehicles are slamming on the brakes. People are running all over the road. Guy committed suicide, ran right out in front of a semi. Just literally seconds. And, and we're going to die. And, and this is the thing that we just don't seem to get, is that death is going to happen. It is appointed for men to die once. So when we look at Sarah's death here, this is a reminder to us that you are going to die. I am going to die. I don't know when it's going to be. It may be young. It may be old. It may be soon. It may be late. I don't know. But there has to be a preparation for eternity in our hearts. And if we're prepared for eternity in our hearts, there needs to be a burden on us to have a preparation for everybody else we run into. Because you don't know when you're not going to see them again. And I know that's become the whole cliche of Christianity. But that is the honest-to-goodness truth. You don't know. Verse 1 of Genesis 23, Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. Sarah died in Kerjeth Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Then Abraham stood up from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I am a foreigner and a visitor among you. Give me property for a burial place among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Interesting tidbits of information here if you want to know this. Sarah is the only woman in the Bible where her age at death is given. Now, that's kind of interesting. So it makes you start thinking, okay, Lord, if, you're, if that's the only woman that you're giving her age, why are you doing that? For me personally, I think it's there to kind of remind you. You know, she had this kid when she was 90 to kind of remind you of that. Number two, it also shows the importance of Sarah. You know, if you were to talk about the big wigs in the Bible, especially the women, a lot of us would probably go to Mary, maybe the, Mary the mother of Jesus, or uh, maybe Mary Magdalene, maybe Ruth. But yet in the New Testament, when Peter wanted to talk about marriage, the woman he used as an example of a godly marriage was Sarah. I find that fascinating. Because if you've been with us in our study in Genesis, I would not label Abraham and Sarah's marriage as the best example of a godly marriage. But yet Peter, through the Spirit, said, Sarah, Sarah is one to look at. So it's interesting. She's the only one where her age at death is given there. She dies and Hebron. Hebron means fellowship. And I find this interesting because as she dies, her fellowship with her husband is now gone. But as she dies, who does she have fellowship now with? The Lord. And I think that's what we got to remember. And once again, it becomes so cliche. If a loved one dies who's born again and saved, they're really just passing from this world to heaven. We still weep, we still mourn. I mean, look at what Abraham said right there. Verse 2, he wept for her. I hate it. I do lots of funerals. I hate it. When I hear somebody come up to a funeral, to, to the family of the loved one that died, and the first thing they say is, oh, don't cry. No, cry. There is a season of mourning. There's a season of weeping. You've lost a loved one, and your whole, there's a hole in your heart that hurts. But, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4, we do not mourn as those that have no hope. That's important to note. If you've lost a loved one, if that loved one is saved, yes, there's a sadness and a hole in your heart, but there's also the trust and assurance that you will see that one again. And you've got you to remember that. You will see them again. If something would happen, God forbid, to dawn, I would weep and weep and weep. But there's also that assurance that I know where she's going. And that, therefore, we do not mourn as those that have no hope. But this idea of Hebron and fellowship, 
It made me think of this verse. It's 1 John 5.20. 1 John 5.20. But I want to read it out of the New Living Translation. Listen for this word, fellowship. 1 John 5.20. And we know that the Son of God has come. And he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with the Son, Jesus Christ. He's the only true God and he is eternal life. I like that verse because that verse pushes those two themes. We have fellowship with God through fellowship with Jesus, which therefore gives us eternal life. So when Sarah dies and is buried in Hebron, which means fellowship... What a neat picture that is, that really she now has fellowship with God. We focus on her losing her husband or her husband losing her. No, the daughter went home to her father. And Abraham gets to join her later on. So, one last point about this before we take a break. Key verse, verse 4. Abraham, I am a foreigner and a visitor among you. Remember that great verse. It's in Philemon 3.20 there. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. We as believers, excuse me, as Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. We have a tendency to forget this is not our home. I see Christians planting so deep roots into this world that the idea of finally dying and going home to heaven seems disastrous. This is not your home. Our citizenship is heaven. You're, you're a foreigner. You're a sojourner in this. Listen, this world is going to be destroyed. This nation is going to cease to exist. We have to keep those in the back of our mind that I am a citizen of heaven and that when everything falls apart, my home will never be touched. My citizenship will never be affected because I am a citizen of heaven and therefore my Abode, my future dwelling is in heaven. That's what gives me hope. As I look at this world completely, utterly falling apart, if anything, it makes me long for my home. And that's what we got to remember. I see too many Christians get too caught up in this world and everything like that. Wow. Have a mindset of ministry in this world, but don't cling so tightly to this world that when God says it's time to go home, you're not willing to let go of it. Our citizenship is in heaven. Lots of stuff here in these first four verses. Sarah, what an example of a wife. What an example of a woman. Fellowship, Hebron is where she's buried. It shows fellowship with God. We do not mourn as those that have no hope. And we also have to remember, just like Abraham said in verse 4, I'm a foreigner. I'm a visitor. This is not my home. I'm a citizen of heaven, and that's where I've got to keep my perspective in all ways and all things. So we'll stop here for a second. Anybody got any quick questions, comments about any of this before we move on with the rest of the message here tonight? All right. Yeah, Ron. When I found out I had cancer, I was talking to Pastor Rich, and I said, what could be the worst-case scenario? And he said, you could live. Yeah. That, that, that's one of my favorite Richard stories. And let me, let me repeat that so that can be on, on tape here. When Ron found out he had cancer, Ron went up to Richard and said something effective. What's the worst thing that could happen? And Richard's response is, well, the worst thing that could happen is you could live. And that's classic Rich. Um, but that's the truth when you look at it from that perspective. Paul wrote... For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Paul said, if I die, this is, this is good. This is good. I'm going to share this. at uh, I'm doing a funeral. It's coming Friday. You know, many of you may know from Deschler, you know, Bill Morrow you know, passed away. And they asked me to uh, do the funeral. So I'm going to be doing the funeral on Friday. And Richard got a chance to go over with Bill near the end. And Richard told the story that I'm going to share on Friday where Bill was so ready to go home, so ready to go home to heaven and be home with Christ that, that he would 
fall asleep and he would wake back up. And Birch said he would wake back up and kind of look around, get his surroundings and realize he was still on this earth. And then Bill would make this comment of, what does a man got to do to die around here? And then he would kind of go back to sleep. And if you know Bill, you, you would understand Bill saying that. But Bill's mindset was, I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to go home. Anybody else have anything here before we move on? Yeah, Brenda. Not necessarily, and it goes kind of back and forth here a little bit, because uh, let me get my bearings here right. Um, Jacob's wife, Rebecca, died in childbirth with Benjamin, if I remember correctly, and she was buried where she died. She was. But Abraham, I'm getting ahead of myself here a little bit, Abraham's going to buy this cave. And in this cave, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, and Leah are all going to be buried there. So they all came back and said, this is where we want to be buried. So there are examples of, hey, this person died here, they're buried here. But there's also examples of people saying, we want to be buried in this. In fact, when Joseph died in Egypt, one of the things that he asked is, take my bones back to this cave. So I guess it goes both ways there. It kind of goes both ways. Anybody else got anything before we move on? All right. So... This is a long passage that takes up most of the chapter, and I'm going to read it all, but I'm going to give you the background before we read it. Now, I'm not an expert on Middle East negotiations in any way whatsoever, but every book I read, every commentator I read on this chapter, they all said the exact same thing. This is how the negotiations would go down. The negotiations would go down like this. Abraham wants to buy this property. So what would happen is the people would come to him and say, have whatever you want. It's free. Abraham would then come back and say, oh, I can't take it. And they would say, oh, yes, you can take the price. No, I can't take it. Let me at least buy something. And then the person would say, okay, well, here's the price that you can have it for. And the person would pick a very high price because that would be the starting point of negotiations. Then Abraham would come down with it, and that's how it would go. The closest equivalent we have is if you ever go out to eat with somebody and somebody's like, well, let me get the check. No, let me get the check. No, let me get the check. No one's really being honest, Okay. So that's what's happening with this negotiation. And what makes this kind of interesting is when the guy finally picks his price that's really high, if I remember correctly, I think it's 400 uh, pieces of silver, 400 shekels of silver, Abraham doesn't negotiate. He just says, I'll pay it. Because the spiritual point is you never want to be indebted to the world. You never want the world to do you a favor. It's the world. Remember a few chapters ago when the uh, king of Sodom came to Abraham and wanted to give him the spoils of stuff. And Abraham said, I'm not taking anything from you. I'm not taking. So Abraham says, you want 400 pieces of silver for it? I'm just going to give it to you so that way it never looks like, oh, look what the world did for Abraham. The world did nothing. So keep that negotiation in the back of your mind because that's what you're going to see happening here, starting in verse uh, 5. The sons of Heth, sons of Heth are also known as Hittites. The sons of Heth answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, my lord, you are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our burial places. None of us will withhold from him you as burial place that you may bury your dead. So there's the first step. Acting nice. You can have whatever you want. Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, the sons of Heth. Remember, those are the Hittites. And he spoke with them, saying, If it is your wish that I bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and meet with Ephron, the son of Zorah, for me, that he might give me the cave of Machpelah, which he has, which is at the end of his field. Let him give it to me at the full price as property for a burial place among you. Let me buy it. 
Verse 10. Now Ephron dwelt among the sons of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the presence of the sons of Heth, all who entered all the gates of his city, saying, No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field and the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of the sons of my people. I give it to you. Bury your dead. Now see, Ephron looks good in front of everybody. Just have it. Verse 12, Abraham bowed himself down before the people of the land, and he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, If you will give it, please hear me. If I will give you money for the field, take it for me, and I will bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, saying, My Lord, listen to me. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? So bury your dead. You see this negotiation going on. Verse 16, Abraham listened to Ephron. And Abraham weighed out the silver for Ephron, which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, currency of the merchant. So therefore, Abraham buys this tomb, if you will. So what happens now, verse 17, the field of Ephron, which was in Machpelah, which was before Mamre, the field and the cave which was in it, and all the trees that were in the field, which were within all the surrounding borders, were deeded to Abraham as a possession, the presence of the sons of Heth, before all who went in at the gate of the city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, before Mamre, that is in Hebron, the land of the Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded to Abraham by the sons of Heth as a property for a burial place. And once again, this is where Abraham will eventually be buried with Sarah. Isaac with Rebecca, Jacob, and also Leah as well. I got two quick slides on this I want to show you there. Dustin, can you do the next one? Just in case you're wondering where the cave at, it's right near Hebron. As you can see, it's south of Jerusalem. Just to kind of give you a feel there a little bit, right beside Hebron, south of Jerusalem. The next slide, please. And this is what it looks like. Now, you got to remember, they obviously did not have that building. If you're wondering, that is a Muslim mosque that was built on top of the cave. Because Muslims, obviously, Abraham is very important to them. So you can go visit this place today, and from what I've read and studied, is this place is divided into two sections. You have a Muslim section, and you have a Christian section, or a Jewish section, if you will. Because we share Abraham, I guess, for lack of a better word. So the Jews are not allowed to go to the Muslim side, but the Muslims are allowed to go to the Jews' side. And the Israeli Defense Force provides security. And this is a very volatile place. If you ever go study this out before, there's been many instances of violence because you have Muslims and Jews right beside each other. So this is actually built over the cave. This is actually built over where they presumed the cave was. Like I said, this is actually a Muslim mosque that is built over that, just to kind of give you a visual here of what's going on. Now, putting this all together, going back to our first point, Sarah died. Okay, Sarah died. De- death is happening. That is what's going to happen to you. That's what's going to happen to me. How are we going to respond with that? Looking at Abraham, what a godly response, if you will, to death. Let's just go back and review this one more time here. There is weeping. That, that's allowed. Jesus wept. We're allowed to have those emotions. We're allowed to miss our loved ones. There's no doubt about it. But at the same time, too, verse 4, I'm a foreign and a visitor among you. This is not your home. If that's the only point you get out of tonight, I'm completely okay with that. Because this is not where you're going to live. And one of the things you want to ingrain into yourself and to your kids and everything else, that you don't want to be so connected to this place. Because if you're so connected to this world, my goodness, that's going to create problems. Turn, if you will, with me to 1 John I'm going to build on this point for a second. 1 John, please. 1 John chapter 2. This passage here in 1 John chapter 2 kind of sums up everything that we need to say here to close with. This is not my home. My citizenship is in heaven. And that's where my focus needs to be. As you guys are going to 1 John here, chapter 2, does anybody have any quick questions, comments over anything of the negotiations, the cave itself, anything along that type of line there, what happened? Ryan. 
From what I read is they said that was a, a very exuberant price because that's how they kind of did it is they pick a very, very high price even to work your way down. One commentator said when I read it that there's no way that that cave, that land would be worth that much in any way whatsoever. So it was a very, very high price. But no, I don't actually have a dollar amount there of anything along that type of line. Marv. Well, Abraham had Ishmael. And Ishmael then would be the, uh, you know, the father of the Muslim race there. So that's why Abraham's important to them. Anybody else got any other quick questions, comments here, or anything of the cave or anything of the study thus far? All right. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. This kind of sums up everything that we've been talking about. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. He who does the will of God abides forever. This phrase for world, there's a very interesting word. It's, the word is actually cosmos. And it doesn't mean literally the world. You're, you're allowed to love the world, meaning go out and enjoy God's creation, see what he's done. I love looking at creation. I mean, that's a blessing. I love that part of it. God is saying here is don't love the system of the world. There's a world system that we need to stay out of, the system of greed and lust and pride. He says stay out of that. Now, we as believers know this, but we get caught up in it. We get caught up in it. And so God in verse 15 is saying, don't love it, stay away from it. Because if you love the world, the system of the world, you don't have the love of the Father in you. Because that doesn't make sense. You can't love the things of the enemy and the things of God. It makes no sense. What is the system? Verse 16, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You've heard me make this point many times before. Every sin under the sun falls into those three categories. Any sin is either a lust of the flesh, a lust of the eyes, or pride of life. And every time I teach this, I make this same joke because this joke is completely true. There is always one person in the study that starts thinking through every sin they can think of in their mind. And they try to find one that doesn't fall into those three categories. You can't do it. Everything falls into that category. And you've heard this teaching point before. Those same three categories are the same three areas in which Eve fell in the garden... And those three categories are also the same three categories that Jesus defeated in the wilderness with temptation. So you see how this all comes together. Eve fell in those three areas. Sin is in the world. Jesus defeated those three areas. We can now have victory from sin. We have to make a choice. Verse 17. The world is passing away. This system will not last forever. It will not I have never heard anybody on their deathbed say, I wish I worked more overtime. Does not work. This world system is passing away. He who does the will of God abides forever. Here's the problem. Why is it as believers that we know our citizenship is in heaven, we know the eternity of heaven and hell, why is it that we won't let go of, verse 16, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life? We know what's wrong. I've come to this conclusion. I've done so much counseling. Very rarely, if ever, has somebody ever come in and truly not known right from wrong. We know right from wrong. We don't want to let go of it. Why do I lust in the flesh? Because it feels good momentarily. I like it. Why do I lust in the eyes? Because I like to let my eyes wander and look at things. Why do I have the pride of life? Because I like the attention being on me. Momentary fleshly pleasures that produce no eternal good in any way whatsoever. 
Part of being a Christian is dying to this system of all those things. And as you as a believer trying to live in a non-believing world, you know how difficult that is to do. You know how difficult it is to live as believers when you're telling your kids, well, we don't watch that. We don't dress that way. We don't act that way. The world may, but we don't. When you go into work and everybody else is doing and acting and doing certain things, we're separate from that. And what happens is you can't separate the church from the world anymore because the church acts like, talks like, dresses like, watches the same things the world does. We're called out of that system. So you have to ask yourself as you look at this passage, where is my citizenship? You know, Abraham could say, I'm a foreigner in this land. Can you honestly say that this world is foreign to you? That this is not your home? Or is this world kind of comfortable for you? If it's comfortable for you, I really encourage you to step back and say, why do I find this system so comfortable? As a believer, these things should bother me because this is not in line with my father. That's why verse 17, the world is passing away. This system is passing away. The lust of it, he who does the will of God abides forever. Is We want to be in the Lord's will. We want to be in his system. Not this cosmos of the world, but the system that God has in store for us. So, finalizing this here. Genesis 23, it's about death. But you know what? We need to be reminded of that sometimes. We need to be reminded of our fleshly existence. We need to be reminded that this world system has nothing to offer us that would do any eternal good in any way whatsoever. All right, does anybody have any final questions, comments here about anything that we covered tonight? Um, Before we close up, then in prayer. All right, let's pray. We'll let you guys go. Heavenly Father, help us to live that. Help us to live as foreigners in a foreign world that we truly realize our focus and our citizenship is in you. Lord, when a loved one passes that knows you, help us not to mourn as those that have no hope. But thank you for the joy of seeing them again. We of all people know heaven and hell, Lord. Spur us on. Spur us on to be lights and witnesses for you in all we say and do. Lord, help us to see that. And we lift this up in your name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, you guys have a good week, and God bless.